All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly, and it's episode number 459. And we are still recording, uh, of course, and bringing you the show every week uh, in the COVID crisis. Uh, of course, many of the stories um, that uh, we're covering are about companies adjusting and uh, restructuring and, and delivering new augmented services in this time. So um, that's sort of the general theme of what's going on. Um, Abriana, how are you? You know, I am uh, hanging in there. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I am back in Atlanta. You know, you can only take so much family time. <laughs> well, like extended family time or like parent family time. Um, so we are back here for a little bit and, you know, my kids are just getting back into the routine of school now. Um, but yeah, we're, I mean, I think that it could be a whole lot worse. So I'm grateful and we're healthy. How are you doing? Yeah, we're good. We're good. So yesterday, uh, my kids started uh, on sort of official uh, online school uh, with the teachers actually teaching virtually and all that sort of stuff. So that'll be a bit of an adjustment because it's been kind of just a, a free fall the, the weeks leading up to it, you know, kind of just, you know, trying to get them to do something other than just running around or playing or, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's happening. So there's a bit more structure to the day, uh, which is good. Um, I'm, I don't know. I've been pretty busy actually. A lot of uh, virtual meetings, I think sort of mid, mid half of last week, everything kind of, sort of resettled and everybody sort of realized, hey, we're in this, we just got to get back to work. And so there's a lot of work happening again. Um, so that's good. Um, yeah, so we're, we're all good. Everybody's healthy and happy and, and fine for now. So yeah. That's good. There you go. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like it's, everybody's probably having the same challenges in terms of like getting as much accomplished as they did before. Or, you know, for people who maybe don't have you know, kids, maybe it's hard for them to like turn off the work and separate themselves from it. And for us with families and other people in the house, it's hard, you know, just to get as much accomplished and the day seems to go by really fast for me and trying to fit in all the things that I did before with, you know, exercising and family time and, you know, getting out emails and follow-ups and, and everything else that has to be done is just, um, it's been a little bit of a challenge for me, but you know, I'm just trying to adjust and learning better practices every day. And that's all you can do. So, yeah. So, um, as I indicated last week, um, so because we're all in sort of isolation now and kind of working from home and whatnot, we're going to launch a new series starting today, um, with our podcast show. So we'll still, you know, if there's kind of big news stories, leveraging location data, we'll cover that stuff. And we've got a, a Four good stories for you this week. But uh, in the middle of every episode, uh, we're going to feature some guest interviews uh, for the next number of weeks, what we're calling Members at Home. And um, basically, we're just going to interview different member companies, different uh, brands, different agency people uh, from across you know, the globe, and kind of talk to them about how um, you know, their business has been affected by the COVID uh, crisis. You know, how they've adjusted to it, what maybe what their companies are doing uh, in reaction to it, you know, uh, and so on. So uh, you can expect a number of those over the next uh, coming weeks. And we have uh, a start of that this week with an interview with uh, Gimbal, 
Um, and um, so um, that's, you know, something interesting to look forward to. But uh, to kick off the show, I'll let Aubriana start it off as per normal. So. <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, um, ride share and transportation industry is drastically uh, down right now with with what's going on in the world. And so Uber Eats is sort of pivoting and trying to figure out what else they can offer and how they can still deliver value and obviously uh, generate revenue. Um, and so they are now moving into grocery delivery. And this is more about kind of a boutique delivery service. They want to bring necessities to people. And they're hoping and aiming to do that within 30 minutes, which is really fast. Um, they did a trial last year in Australia. Um, but obviously, with the current global pandemic, they're moving their efforts forward more quickly and, you know, trying to kind of um, make things happen, I think, as, as soon as possible. So they are doing this collaboration with um, Carrefour in France, the supermarket out of France. So they will be working with about 15 stores in the Paris area. Um, you know, Carrefour right now currently delivers um, with in Spain uh, with a Spanish startup called Glovo. Um, and now they're going to, I guess, expand their partnerships in terms of, you know, delivery. Uh, with Uber Eats. Um, they're also planning to deliver like food items from gas stations and convenience stores um, in Spain. And they've teamed up with a Portuguese ener energy group called GALP, that's G-A-L-P. Um, in Brazil and Sao Paulo, they're delivering goods from, you know, drugstores, grocery stores. So they're working with Pague Menos, which are pharmacies, um, the Shell convenience stores, and Kobasi pet shops, which I guess is like a one of the widely, you know, um, used pet retail stores there. So they're offering the services. What I like about this is they're offering the services via the Uber Eats app, but also you can use just um, by phone, just like, you know, calling in the services for those who don't have smartphones um, or don't maybe have internet connectivity, which I think is great because those are probably the people that have lots of needs right now. Um, and they're planning to launch in other Brazil cities and states over the next couple of weeks. Um, and they're looking, you know, they're just looking at grocery store partnerships around the world right now that they can um, engage with so that they can kind of grow out these, uh, you know, this food delivery option that they're looking for. So obviously I think this is great, you know, right now, if you try to get on Instacart and get, you know, anything delivered to you, you're looking at, you know, instead of a wait time of like two hours or, you know, half a day like it used to be. Now you're looking at days, you know, to maybe a week before you can get anything. And so it's really hard to, you know, get anything delivered to you. And for people maybe who are, you know, older or more at risk, or there's areas that are worse, you know, I think this is really important. Um, and so I love that, you know, there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of opportunity right now, I think, um, as well, just to provide services uh, and delivering goods because it's really hard to get anything. I mean, even when you go to the supermarket, there's such a shortage. And I mean, at least around here, you know, of a lot of things. And so I think this is great. And, um, you know, I think that there's probably opportunities even further outside of food delivery, but looking at how do you make sure that, um, you know, the resources are there because right now it's also a supply and demand problem. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in the market, even though a lot of, um, a lot of segments of the market have really just kind of stopped and halted uh, due to this. So um, hopefully this will be a good thing for a lot of people and, and providing value to those who really need, um, you know, their medicine or anything like that delivered. 
Yeah, no, I, I think this is a good story. And, and uh, the supply and demand part I'll talk about uh, later on in the show uh, with a different story. But, you know, for, for me, what I like about this is that they're finding ways to leverage, you know, a existing platform to, you know, sort of provide a, another level of service during this time. And in particular, I think for older folks um, who, you know, maybe it's harder for them to get out, um, you know, or whatnot, you know, being able to deliver prescriptions, being able to deliver groceries to them, being able to get it to them quickly, you know, in 30 minutes or whatever the case might be. I think there's a lot of value in that. I know for our family, um, you know, certainly we've been using uh, Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes, which is another one up here, um, you know, more than we did before, um, you know, because nobody's going out to restaurants or, you know, anything like that. Um, so that's certainly something that um, I think, you know, these types of platforms are probably seeing an uptake in, in business that way. Uh, but these, these drivers are out there anyways. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what they're bringing you. It's the fact that they can bring you something uh, in a time when you should be staying at home. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love it. I love that they're testing this. Uh, you know, I think, you know, all grocery chains should be embracing some sort of home delivery type of platform. Um, because I think it's, it's kind of the right solution for this, this time. Right. And it's interesting. Like I, I was talking to somebody the other day, I wonder once we're through this crisis, like what the percentage of, you know, people who just stay with online ordering and don't ever go back to the store, uh, you know, what that sort of incremental increase in, in online orders is going to be like post COVID. So, um, I think it will be significant. And, and similarly, I think lots, lots of people who are working from home right now will continue to work from home because uh, they see, you know, it's, it's viable for them. Um, um, you know, the impacts on things like commercial real estate and, and so on downstream, I think are going to be massive uh, in terms of just empty space and uh, some of these companies, uh, you know, not surviving. But uh, as far as delivery is concerned, I think this is a great move for, uh, for Uber Eats. So, yeah, good story. All right. Uh, our second story um, is a big one, I think, for our industry. Um, and basically what we're talking about here is Foursquare, uh, which everybody knows, uh, had yesterday announced that they have acquired and they're merging uh, with Factual, another uh, big player in our industry. Both these companies have been around for a long time. Um, uh, you might recall Foursquare also last year acquired Placed, uh, David Shim's uh, company. And so now you basically have this combination of the three companies all under one banner. Um, so Factual, Foursquare, and Place all sort of rolled up together. Um, you know, and, and you can sort of look at it as, you know, Foursquare with their sort of base location data, you know, originally derived from the consumer app of, you know, all the people checking in and visits and all that sort of stuff. You have sort of placed there as one of the leaders, you know, in the early days of sort of on the attribution side of big measuring, you know, sort of people's actual visits to, uh, you know, to businesses, to brands, to stores, et cetera. And then you have sort of factual there is sort of this audience segmentation layer, um, um, you know, and, and, you know, sort of also, you know, a fairly good location data set, um, you know, sort of all coming together in, in, in one banner. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. I think the timing is super interesting for this to happen. Um, you know, we're coming off 
just sort of the, at the end of 2019 was the first time uh, Foursquare sort of announced a, a profitable quarter, um, you know, in the history of the company. Um, I understand, you know, sort of last year, the combined Foursquare placed uh, said that they did 100 million in revenue. Uh, they think together the, the three companies will do 150 million in, in projected, uh, you know, revenue together, um, which is nothing to sneeze at in our industry. I think that's, you know, a, a sizable, you know, uh, number. Um, you know, and, and the combined company, they're talking about 400 employees, which I also think is a reasonable number. So, so there's a lot of, you know, sort of reasonable uh, sort of numbers that are associated with this sort of mashup of companies. Uh, Gil, who's, um, uh, Ilvaz, uh, who's the uh, founder of uh, Factual, is joining the executive team uh, of, the, uh, of the new sort of merged company. So, you know, uh, David Chim, who's uh, the current CEO, of Foursquare will we'll stay in that position. Gil's gonna join the executive team. Apparently Gil's also writing a large check uh, and reinvesting in the company personally. So we'll see what that uh, entails. There wasn't any details on that. Um, but I think it speaks to sort of, you know, our industry is going to see a significant amount of consolidation, I think over the next 12 to 18 months. And um, uh, I think, there will be many companies that don't survive this crisis um, and could be opportunities presented for many other players, uh, Foursquare and, and others included. So that's sort of my initial thoughts on this. What about you, Abriana? Yeah, I agree with the, um, the fact that there's gonna be a lot of consolidation of players in the space right now. Um, you know, I think there's a lot, there's, it's a little bit of a crowded market. Um, um, you know, you've got a lot of different players offering different things that are very focused on location specifically. And I think it's a tough time for location. Um, I think that, you know, when you consider the fact that before this COVID crisis happened, you had a lot of, um, you know, you had a lot of new legislation coming in that was putting pressure on privacy and compliance in terms of location data. Um, you know, the media has really frowned upon the location data. They've given it a bad rap in a lot of their, you know, stories, even, even their, this is they continue to put out, um, about, you know, these, these location providers, they, they tend to focus on, you know, kind of the creepy factor of location data versus, um, you know, the helpfulness and the, and the, you know, leveraging location data as a utility, um, and so I think that it's a challenging time. So I do think we're going to see a lot more consolidation. Um, and so I think when location is at the forefront of everything that you do, it could be challenging if that's maybe all that you offer. And I do think we'll see more consolidation as well as, you know, some, some of the smaller players start to phase out. You know, the other challenge we have right now is that people aren't moving. People are staying home. Um, and so if you're not taking into consideration, you know, maybe connectivity and context and uh, behavioral understanding and preference, I think that you have a lot of challenges when it comes to the audience space as a whole. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's interesting, you know, it was an all stock deal, deal that they did here. And um, so there's not a lot of numbers that we have to go off of, um, but I think that the timing is very interesting, as you mentioned, that this is happening now when there's probably a lot more challenges that are taking place um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I anticipate, you know, hearing more, I think that factual probably had 
uh, a pretty good Rolodex of clients that they're bringing over to Foursquare because when Foursquare pivoted, I think that, you know, the acquisition of clients was probably a little more challenging for them getting into the game maybe later than, than Factual was. So I think that probably combined, they are maybe able to offer a little bit more in terms of service and um and then obviously like growing their their client list overnight. So those are probably the pluses of the deal that I would see it right now. Yeah, and I think, um, you, you know, it also gives them a nice strong presence sort of both East Coast, West Coast right now um, in the U.S. market um, with, you know, obviously Foursquare based in New York and Factual based in, in California. So um, that's, you know, I think that's a nice little uh, side benefit uh, in terms of, you know, reach and uh, kind of where the densities of employees are and things like that. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, super happy for Gil. I mean, he's, you know, been a, uh, you know, a leader in our industry uh, for a long time. Um, so, you know, anytime, uh, you know, guys like that can kind of, you know, have something good happen and, and kind of, you know, have this type of uh, merger happen. I think it's, it's good. Same as, you know, I was super happy for David uh, when, when that happened last year with placed. So, um, so congrats guys and good luck and we'll be watching. All right. So that's our first two stories for this week. Uh, as I said, we're kicking off our new members at home uh, series with uh, some guest interviews. So uh, the first of which is a, an interview uh, with uh, Matt Russo, uh, who's the chief marketing officer at Gimbal. Um, and uh, so here he is. All right, uh, we are excited because we're kicking off our Members at Home uh, podcast series here, and I'm chatting with Matt uh, from uh, Gimbal. Um, how are you? Hanging in there. It's yeah. uh, the new normal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, officially at home, as you can see from the background. There you go. So yeah, maybe just uh, who are you? What's your title, role, company, all that sort of stuff, just to get that out there. Sure. So I'm Matt Russo. I am the Chief Operating and Marketing Officer for Gimbal. Uh, we are out of uh, mostly the Los Angeles uh, uh, city uh, and our, our headquarters is uh, based in Los Angeles, but we also have offices uh, prior to uh, the COVID uh, hit uh, in New York City, uh, Chicago, San Francisco, and a handful of other satellite uh, cities as well. So yeah, uh, for the past three weeks now, all of Gimbal has been uh, work from home and uh, things are quiet on the home front at the moment. I got two young daughters who are currently out on a bike and scooter ride. So it's relatively quiet, but also apologies if the dog gets going in the background. It's kind of the, yeah, status quo these days. Yeah, excellent. I think we're all living that, uh, that same, uh, same uh, strange dream right now. But anyhow, um, yeah, so one of the things that we're trying to do is we're reaching out to different members all over the world uh, and just trying to see how the COVID crisis is impacting them and their businesses. So, I mean, you're obviously working at home. I assume everybody in the company working from home. Has there been any challenges for that? Have you had to adopt new technologies? Is there you know, any new strategies that you've had to put in place to kind of adapt the business? Yeah. So we, as I mentioned, we have already been a distributed company across at least, you know, I don't know five to eight cities at any given time. <clears throat> and so working um, from team to team and city to city is not new to us. The additional layer is how you interact with, um, you know, team members that are in the same city, but can't be in the same room. And so, you know, like a lot of other companies, uh, we were using Zoom and Slack ahead of that, but now, you know, they become even more integral to 
how our team members interact with one another and how we get work done. Um, you know, I, I think on a certain level, personally, you know, I always, uh, it, the grass is always greener on the other side, meaning, you know, we've always had, I've always thought about what it would be like to have a fully distributed team. Uh, I know Automatic, who's the parent company of WordPress and some other um, uh, platforms and tools are fully distributed. I think they're around eight or 900 employees full time and they don't have a headquarters. They don't have any offices. Everybody is work from home or work from coffee shop. And it wasn't until um, COVID hit that it really puts into place, um, you know, how organized you have to be, how aligned everyone has to be. Um, because you can't just huddle up in a room and talk through things. It's a lot of calibrating schedules and calendars and uh, overlapping uh, priorities and making sure that um, you can get the right people on the line and, and make sure that those uh, virtual meetings are as efficient as they can be. So it's, it's, uh, it's as, as efficient as it can be, but it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not as easy as I, I would have imagined it to be for sure. Have you had to uh, reinvest in your home decorating budget for all of the backgrounds in the Zoom meetings, or what's going no? On? Uh, like a lot of people, I am uh, uh, <laughs> I, the background uh, selection that I can uh, apply virtual yeah. backgrounds has uh, grown increasingly and uh, taken advantage of some new uh, Zoom capabilities as well. So we got some video backgrounds too, but uh, it actually works really well, especially when you've got little ones running around in the background. And it's funny, initially, um, you know, I was very, very cognizant of, okay, I'll keep a virtual background up so that enough little ones come wandering in, it kind of cuts them out. Um, but, you know, as people become more and more um, isolated or, you know, more time goes by, people love seeing, especially little kids kind of wander up and say hello and wave and, uh, you know, kind of brings personality to a, a meeting as well as, um, I guess, insight into like what my daily life looks like when you're used to working with coworkers and it's just all business all the time. Yeah. Have you had to come up with any interesting strategies to kind of deal with the social element of still keeping people connected or interacting with each other beyond sort of the day-to-day -day business stuff, like just the fun part of yeah. being in an office, right? Um, how have you handled yeah. that? Yeah, we've done some virtual happy hours. Everybody grabs a beer or whatever and, and fires up the Zoom. And uh, we've actually done it with some friends from, uh, I, I say back home, which is where I'm originally from back in Columbus, Ohio. And we've fired it up. It's 8.30 there. It's 5.30 here. And just, it's good to see everybody and say hey and uh, let the kids talk and run around. And yeah, it's, you know, it's not as good as being in person. But um, yeah, short of that, I mean, it is, it, it's challenging. It's it's not the same as, as being in the same room. Um, and even the flow of information, that, that's been the hardest part is, um, you know, it, when you're just walking around the office, even from meeting to meeting, uh, it's easy to pop over and say, hey, Liz, uh, you know, how is XYZ going on the marketing front? Do you need anything? Now you have to make a, an effort to Slack that person or to um, send an email or set yourself a reminder to check in on those things where it's not as organic as it was previously. Yeah. So shifting over to the actual business itself, like uh, how has the crisis impacted Gimbal as far as, um, you know, sort of just being able to keep up with clients, the demand, uh, and, you know, sort of that side of things in terms of the sort of regular business of, of Gimbal. And then secondarily, um, has there been any opportunities that have arisen to kind of use your solutions, use your tech, your data, your whatever, to kind of help, um, you know, sort of alleviate the issue of, of the crisis at all in any, in any way? So has there been any new opportunities that have come out of it? Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge out of all of this is 
nobody knows when things are, are going to change or how quickly they're going to revert back to kind of how they were previously. And I think it's obvious that there is not going to be a flip of a switch and everything's just going to go back to the way they were before, um, which makes um, forecasting things challenging, not just from our business's side, but from everybody, right? Um, and so an example is we have um, some uh, cruise ship customers as well as hotel customers. And, um, you know, we obviously, you know, it's very sector and industry specific. Um, restaurants were obviously hit very hard, very quickly. Um, and cruise ships, um, you know, were hit very hard, very quickly. But also, um, it's their perspective that obviously this isn't going to go on forever. Right. But it's, is it going to be back to quote normal in a month? or in a quarter or in a year. And so, you know, while we had cancellations, especially on the media side, um, those, um, there were more that were, you know, kind of paused and clients who said, hey, we aren't canceling this. In fact, uh, some of our, our big cruise ship clients are saying, our budget for the year is not changing. It's just getting pushed to the latter half of the year. Um, and so it'll ultimately be up to them to decide um, how quickly they re-implement some of those budgets, what that ramp up schedule looks like. Um, and it's gonna be um, based on you know, the um, guidance that comes from the government and also um, you know, how they position their messaging to their customers around what's safe, why, um, and, and changing you know, consumer perception around you know, why people should be going on cruises or why should people should be taking flights again and some of the precautions that they're taking. Yeah, certainly. Lots of verticals have been severely impacted like that, especially travel, hospitality, and the restaurant industry. Yep. So I completely get that. And yeah, and we've heard a lot of the same thing. A lot of those budgets are still there. Um, you know, they may get shifted into different forms in terms of how they get allocated, you know, once this all comes back. You know, obviously the whole uh, physical conference market, you know, part of what we do at the LBMA is kind of gone, right? And you guys obviously go to a lot of conferences and so on. That's completely gone for now, but there's a lot of new virtual conferences popping up and different ways to do that. So I, th I think we're, we're evaluating that. I think many people are. Um, but let's go to the other part of it, which is, um, you know, or have you seen any new opportunities come up during this time of different ways to use what you guys do to kind of help uh, the situation? Yeah, so I think the winners in a lot of this are the companies that frankly, don't rely just on in-person interactions or in-person transactions uh, to make their business. Um, so, you know, cruise lines and airlines, um, they require people to be on their ship for that um, utility or for that experience. Um, for other brands or, or retailers where there was more of an omni-channel opportunity, um, you know, COVID has basically forced the, the digital component of that to their offering. And so now if there are opportunities to make a sale online and then transact um, maybe not in person as they have been previously, but um, you know, uh, buy online pickup in store or um, in store restaurants uh, for pickup uh, services. Um, there are definitely opportunities there, um, especially as you know, I think there will be the floodgates when uh, reopened when people are like, Hey, we can get back together in uh, groups that are bigger than six or 10 people. I think they will want to go into the in-person uh, settings to go dine with people and do those experiences. But in the meantime, they need an alternative. People still need to eat. People still need groceries. Um, so while social distancing is still kind of a requirement in the new norm, they'll need to figure out, um, you know, what solutions they can put in place uh, to facilitate that. 
Cool. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, uh, from our side, we're, you know, as, as we talk to different members globally and we kind of, uh, you know, are doing a lot of these interviews and doing different discussions, we're seeing, uh, you know, from a data perspective and a location perspective, lots of interesting ways that people are trying to, you know, sort of leverage that kind of stuff. Obviously, privacy is uh, a stumbling block uh, for many uh, still. We continue to talk about that. Um, and, um, but but I think I think there's some unique opportunities to go into as you said verticals that or like the online world um, to kind of uh, really find kind of uh, not necessarily new revenue but just you know a shift of where the the focus is right um, so yeah I can totally appreciate uh, you know where you're where you're coming with that so very good well Matt we uh, we really appreciate you jumping on the uh, show and kind of uh, coming in for our new members at home series. Again, for our audience, we've been chatting with Matt Russo. He's the CMO and COO at Gimbal. Um, thanks so much, Matt, and stay safe, stay healthy, um, stay well, stay sane, all those, all those things that uh, are super important at this time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Sounds good. Appreciate the time as always. All right, take care. Have a good one. All right, thanks, Matt. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and sharing uh, your story of uh, isolation and working in that environment. Uh, yeah, always great to, to have and connect with you. So uh, thanks so much. All right, so uh, moving back to our uh, industry news, I'll let Abriana uh, kick off our, uh, our third story for the week. So we're going to go over to the Philippines for this story, and there is a um, an app called SIF or SIF. I don't know which one it is, but um, it's capital SIF, and so it's a Filipino. What they're calling it is a super app, and um, it's offering this ginormous, wide variety of services. So. Um, Location-based services is kind of where it started. So you think of like grooming, wellness, coaching, self-improvement programs, all of those types of things. Um, and now it's also extended to, you know, automobile repairs, maintenance through what they call SIF Motors. There's a cloud kitchen food service, part of SIF Food. There's SIF Home. You know, they're working on another update that would focus more even on like health and learning, master skills, law, all types of, uh, I guess, like self-improvement or kind of, um, at home learning. And what they did though now is they've announced the inclusion of telemedicine. Obviously, um, right now we have, you know, this global pandemic that's keeping people at home. And so the ability to get to and from places um, or maybe to see what people may not deem as, you know, like emergency medical care has been a little complicated. And so this is going to be telemedicine consultations through the hospital system and through health uh, service provider partners that SIF is working with. So they'll have like psychiatrists, um, you know, accredited medical professionals from different fields of specialization um, that, you know, can provide consultations without patients having to even leave their home. Um, and so they can do video calls. Just, I mean, I, I do this, you know, with my kids when it's midnight and I think they have something, you know, I've done it before and it's super helpful. Um, it's really easy. And so, you know, with the current quarantine going on and, and the landscape of, of what's happening in the world, um, you know, this is, I think, a great expansion and offering for them. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is that this app is really expected to be sort of the, uh, the country's first unicorn, you know, tech giant um, that's coming out of, out of the Philippines. And so, you know, I think that like, consolidation in terms of apps is always really great. We've talked about that before, like not having the need to have 
an app for every single little thing on your device. And so when you can have um, lots of services offered maybe through one specific app, I think there's power in that. Um, and I like the idea though of, you know, focusing on something that the world needs right now and, and delivering, you know, this telemedicine offering to uh, people of the Philippines. So I, you know, I think this is, again, it's great thinking from a business perspective, but it's also thinking about how can we deliver what customers and, and consumers really need right now with this, you know, with the current environment and everything that's going on. So I do expect that we'll see, you know, a continued growth in telemedicine and even more wide, you know, uh, a, a more widely accepted um, offering of these types of things. You know, I think one of the challenges is here, like in the US, for example, is, you know, getting an antibiotic or something like that. You, typically, the doctors want to see you. But, you know, now in these times, there's probably going to be a little bit uh, less hesitation about giving that, you know, type of medicine and, and diagnoses um, online and through a video call versus how it used to be. And I think that there's going to be more widely um, acceptance of that and, you know, not having to leave your home to get, you know, uh, you know, have a session with your therapist or whatever you may need, which I think that lots of us are going to need that <laughs> over the next, yeah. uh, you know, several weeks and months, you know, just having somebody else to talk to and uh, sort through things. So um, I think this is great. Yeah, no, I, I, I love what they're doing. I, I mean, I like the sort of breadth of their platform in terms of all the different services that are there. But the telemedicine piece in particular, I think is super helpful, especially in this in this time, uh, you know, that we're dealing with. I've, you know, we've used that with our family as well, uh, as, as you described. I, I think it's, it's a great way to, you know, it's the middle of the night, you know, everything's closed, you can't, you know, you know you're worried about your kids, whatever, um, to get that assessment. And I think in North America, it's interesting, like, I, I, you know, with this COVID thing right now, and see the work the CDC is doing. Um, you know, we talk about privacy a lot with location data, but when it comes to healthcare, um, you know, the U.S. government has, to their credit, relaxed the HIPAA compliance laws around uh, privacy of you know personal health information because people are getting sick, they're walking into clinics, they're getting assessed, and you know they may not be their normal doctor or whatever, and they you know these doctors in order to treat you you know well and, and properly, they need access to your healthcare, uh, you know, history and things like that. And so, you know, that sort of, uh, they've been able to relax um, those laws, you know, on a temporary emergency basis to enable this type of, uh, uh, you know, assessment um, uh, in a time of need. And I think, you know, in other countries, you know, like the Philippines and others, you know, maybe it's it's not so strict, but I think, you know, this idea of being able to quickly assess people in a virtual environment, I think, is something that is going to persist beyond this crisis. And uh, it's, it's something that our lawmakers need to get ready for uh, here in North America. And I think, you know, we're going to be in a situation where, you know, we can't be always just so concerned about privacy uh, when it comes to actually saving people's lives. So, um, you know, I think that's, you know, sort of for me, one of the things that just comes to mind when I see this story, the platform that they're providing, is, I think it's, um, you know, just, a, you know, I, I love the number of things that, that they can do with the SIF, the SIF platform, but uh, in particular, the telemedicine piece, I think uh, right now is incredibly useful. So there you go. All right. Our final story uh, is about a app uh, called Outstreets. Um, and this is a, a really interesting story. Um, so um, it's a Washington DC based company. Um, 
founded by a guy named uh, Mark Sussman. And uh, they were just, uh, they had built out their app platform and they were just getting ready to go into a public launch uh, when this crisis hit. And the original platform was for consumer, uh, for the consumer public to basically report dangerous driving behavior, badly parked e-bikes and scooters and things like that. Hence the name Outstreets. Um, and they had launched the, you know, sort of a, the beta version of this quietly on uh, Android and, and, um, and Apple uh, in January. And so they were just getting ready to switch over to sort of the commercial version of the app, if you will. And then everything, you know, the pandemic hit, businesses started closing down and, and so on. And then just by happenstance, um, you know, Mark, I, I guess, knew the right people or whatever, and a conversation happened, um, you know, with uh, a government uh, official. And they said, hey, can, you know, can this platform be used to kind of uh, monitor what's going on with uh, food uh, supplies and, uh, and shelves in stores and grocery stores and things like that? So like we were talking about in the, in the sort of first story, you know, uh, with Uber Eats, you know, I think sort of the supply side of this is really interesting. And so what they've done is they've kind of pivoted the app to basically enable consumers to kind of go as they're going into grocery stores. Um, they indicate basically what they're there to, to find, like I'm here to get toilet paper, or, you know, eggs or bread or whatever it is. Um, and then they, they, so they, they sort of uh, report through the app to say, um, yeah, we, you know, here's what I went in for. It was available here. Um, and so indicating, you know, whether there's a shortage or this, the, the shelves are empty, you know, or whatever the case might be. Um, they can sort of select the item, they take a photo, um, they can submit that through that, they can indicate whether the shelf is fully stocked or half stocked or empty or sold out or whatever the, the for the different items are. Um, and they can even indicate whether the store is, you know, doing a good job on social distancing and has markers, you know, separating people on the floors and all that sort of stuff through the app. What I love about this is, is that if you are, you know, sort of trying to observe the rules and follow all the stuff and let's say you know somebody you know has gone there and and reported this it's kind of like a little bit like using waves right like where you know you're there and somebody who's gone ahead of you on that road has reported that there's police up ahead you know you might want to slow down or there's an accident or whatever uh kind of giving you that that you know sort of pre-warning that information and here what you're getting is look you know if i if i'm going out um on my weekly grocery run or whatever it is right now and there's certain items I need. You know, what? one of the things that's been happening is, is people go out and they say, I need this, this, and this, and this. And they go to a store and then maybe two out of the five things that they're looking for are not there. They're out of stock or whatever. And then they, so then they're like, I'm going to go to another store to find those other two things, right? Um, and they end up going to like multiple stores, which is not what the government wants us doing right now. So if you're able to kind of look at, you know, something like this uh, through an app platform and say, hey, you know, my, this store in my neighborhood, maybe there's three stores in my area, you know, but this particular one, maybe it's a little further than the one I normally go to, has everything I need. I can just make one trip and be done and, you know, you know expose as short a time as possible. Um, and so that's really one of the key elements of, of what they're trying to do with Outstreets right now. Um, even employees who are stocking the shelves can submit information as new supplies come out. So if something has been out of stock, the employees can then update and say, hey, we're now in stock on this particular item and so on. So 
uh, I, I really like it. I think it's a, a great way to kind of, hey, look, you were about to launch something. It's not really relevant right now because nobody's out on the street using e-scooters or whatever. Um, let's take what we built and kind of repurpose it for, you know, uh, the use of, of you know, um, that makes sense in a, in a COVID situation. Yeah, I love the premise of this. I think that the only difference that I would say is like with Waze, obviously, you know, your phone is sort of automatically reporting that when you're using the app. So there's a little bit more of an ease of use. But I like the idea of, you know, employees being able to report what's there. And um, I actually like had to go to the supermarket for the first time in weeks uh, yesterday, yesterday. Um, or the day before, I can't remember, all these days just run together. But, you know, for me, I was like, you know, my husband had told me when he had been to Trader Joe's previously, like how they did a really good job. They only let so many people into the store. There's like markings of, as far as social distancing goes. And then, you know, I went to Publix and first of all, they are out of a lot of things, um, you know, a lot of things that I needed and I was looking for, but also like there was no social distancing really in effect whatsoever. And it made me feel very uncomfortable. The only time that they had any markings was like when you go to check out, which, you know, you're passing people in the aisles and like there's people congregating. And it was just like, I don't know, it made me feel super on edge almost. And so I like the idea of having sort of that report of like, do they have what I need? You know, can I just go to one place to get all of this? Um, you know, am I going to have to go make multiple stops or have to go back again in a few days, you know, with kids, obviously, like you're constantly in need of like milk and, you know, bread and simple things like that. And so it gets more complicated. So I really like how they've pivoted and they're thinking about how can they provide value again in this time, right? I think that it's connecting the needs of consumers with the technology that can provide that. And just because it was based on like parking and scooters or, you know, all of those things at that point, it sounds like they're doing a really awesome, you know, job um, and fantastic open mind, you know, open mindedness of thinking of how can we, how can we pivot a little bit here? I think everybody's trying to figure that out. Yeah. By the way, you're supposed to be baking your own bread now, Abriana. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know what? Like, it's good. I will say like at least my local grocery store that we go to regularly uh, is doing a fantastic job. Like I went there the other day uh, last week to do, do a run. And um, so first of all, there's a lineup to get into the store. They're only letting so many people in at a time. And the lineup is everybody's is distanced, you know, sort of the, the proper spacing outside of the store waiting to get in. When you get to the entrance and you like, you know, where the, where the shopping carts are, there's a guy standing there basically, you know, with a disinfectant wipes, wiping down the cart and the handles and all that, and then handing you a cart. And then you walk in and then like in the store itself, like everybody's like, you know, just being polite and staying away from each other as best they can. And then like the aisles in, in this grocery store, there's arrows on the aisles. You can actually go, only go down the aisles in one direction now um, in, in my store. So you, there's none of this like crossing things like it's, 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 it's one direction only. Uh, which is, is cool. And then like, even in the checkout, it's all spaced out, like with markers on the floor, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, like they're doing what they can, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. But there uh, was somebody disinfecting the carts, but there was no like arrows or spacing or, you yeah. know, anything like that. Going no, it's, on. Ha it's happening. <laughs> so, but yeah, you gotta be baking your own bread. I know a number of people oh. now are like, you know, uh, uh, 
raising their own chickens, like with like for eggs and stuff. Like that's happening. Um, you know, a bit hard to fit a cow in my backyard, but you know, can't, can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually have we do have like a neighbor who's got chickens. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, no roosters, thankfully. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought of like, oh, maybe we should plant a garden or something, you know, simple like that. But I mean, I can't keep, you know, I keep my children alive because they tell me when they're hungry, you know, and they make a lot of noise, but plants and I just do not have that bond. So I think yeah. I'll be a little bit more dependent. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Uh, four uh, industry news stories in there with a uh, special guest as we kick off our members at home uh, guest interviews. Uh, you've been listening to Location Weekly, episode number 459. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching every week. Please reach out to us if you have story ideas or you want to be interviewed uh, to share what you're doing or whatever the case might be. Um, and by all means, please stay healthy, safe, distanced, uh, and at home. Um, and uh, yeah, be well. Bye, everyone. See you next Bye. week. Bye.